Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another episode of Lost in Science. It is it is a full house today. Can I just say that we have Manisha back? Hey. Welcome back, Manisha. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that was that was just me. I think. Um, <laughs> well, and, thanks, Chris. And so we're going to have four exciting stories for you today, Manisha. What are you going to tell us about? So I'm recently back from a trip to New Zealand, where I got to take in a lot of the lovely scenery and learn a lot about the um, lovely flora and fauna. And so I thought I'd share a story about one of their native birds, the kia. Yeah. Excellent. Claire, you're up next. What's going to happen? Oh, yeah. So it's coming into the hot months, summertime in Australia, along the East Coast. Um, you got to watch out for those ticks, especially because now if you get bitten by a tick there is a chance that it could render you allergic to red meat. This is a big risk in the summer barbecue season. This is a big risk (laughs) in the summer barbecue season. So I'm going to explore that a little bit. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, it is bizarre, but it is a thing. Okay, Stu, can you top that? Well, speaking of the summer barbecue season, I'm going to be talking about how to make very small aluminium cans super cold in a very convoluted fashion that you won't be able to do at your regular barbecue. So stay tuned for that one. You're going to want to come to our barbecue, the Lost in Science barbecue. We're just going to have the smallest, coldest aluminium cans you've ever seen. Well, I too have a have an excellent story. I am going to be talking about the crested pigeon. These funny little pigeons with spikes on their heads you may have seen around the place. They make a weird whistling noise when they fly. I'm going to find out why and how they do that. Awesome. Um, yes. So a lot of birds, a lot of ticks, a lot of cool cans. It's summer in Australia. So this year, New Zealand actually crowned the Kia the bird of the year. The Kia, yay. Yay, Kia. Yay, Kia. Great. Uh, Yeah, so for everybody who doesn't know. Bird of the year. Yeah. The Kia is actually this large parrot that's found mainly in the South Island of New Zealand. And it's found in the Alpine regions and so in all of the mountains. It's pretty rare for a parrot to be in an Alpine region. It's pretty quite remarkable. There aren't many parrots that live in the Alpine region. Yeah, so it's a really interesting bird. It's a massive bird, or like it's a massive parrot from what yeah. we're used to seeing probably here in Australia. And New Zealand's a bit weird, though. It has lots of weird birds and parrots, particularly that, you know, nowhere else has. One would say weird, one would say fascinating. It's a cool place. New Zealand's a really cool place. Chris is not at one with the animals. I love the parrots. Judge the not the parrots, especially. Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Keep your judgment to par- yourself. I'm, I, no, I'm, just, I'm just saying there's some weird parrots to that, as I'm sure we will find out. <laughs> as I'm sure we will find out in a second when Manisha tells us more about the Kia. Okay, so the Kia. It's a large parrot found in alpine regions on the South Island in New Zealand. It's sort of this olive green color, and it's got this beautiful orange band under its wings, so you, you can only really see it while it's flying. But it's just it's a, such a gorgeous bird. And it has this really memorable personality. It's known as the clown of the mountains um, in New Zealand. And it's because the Kia is actually so curious. Anything they can get their hands on or 
well, their beaks on, it's fair game. The kias, they're known to, you know, like remove the the rubber off of like the wind, windscreen wipers and from around the, the window frames of doors and things like that. And they're even known to like loosen and take off the car aerials and things like that. So they're just a really... Some cool. even like are known to cut your brakes and... <laughs> I was going to say... <laughs> crazy <laughs> behavior. Crazy clown around. Clown of the mountain or vandal of the car park. I mean, really. But they're so cute. Um, I actually met a guy um, while I was traveling and he and a mate, they were out hiking one day. They left their boots outside their cabin overnight and they came back and one lace from each pair of boots was missing and they told the ranger about it and the ranger was pretty sure it was a Kia that had just like undid the laces and stolen it. I love this bird. It's so hilarious. I love that it could do all these really funny things and it's so <laughs> clever. Like, oh, and they're so cute. We were on a tour bus and the driver opened the door and the Kia just hopped on like the ah! first couple steps. It was the cutest Kia. thing. Ever. It was the best. Uh, the Kias, they're just so, so cute. And I, I love them because like this curiosity just shows how intelligent they are. Their intelligence has actually been likened to a five-year-old child. So that's a pretty... Pretty clever bird. A five-year-old child, but a bit of a jerk five-year-old. <laughs> a five-year-old child that can already tie its shoelaces or untie its shoelaces, I guess. Most five-year-olds Most five-year-olds. <laughs> and most five-year-olds are jerks. Like, come on. Oh, <laughs> like, they will do all sorts of mischievous things. Come on. Sorry to have five-year-old listeners out there. <laughs> you know you're jerks. Come on. <laughs> Um, I actually wanted to share a couple um, stories on that, or like a couple studies that have tested the intelligence in the Kia. As we all know, I love bird intelligence stories. So there's a study that was done by Alice Osberg and her colleagues um, from the universities of Vienna and from Oxford. And they found that the Kia is actually really different from your average bird. So They may be weird or they may be fascinating, however you choose to see it. But the most remarkable thing that these researchers found um, in their study was that the Kia was able to learn new tasks and also build upon prior knowledge. In their study, they presented Kias with four ways to retrieve a food reward. Two of these methods involved using tools. And once the solution was mastered, that solution was blocked, and so the Kia was forced to learn another method in order to retrieve their food reward. And um, the researchers found that most of the Kias that they tested uh, mastered at least two or three of the methods within the first 10 trials. So pretty clever birds. And then there was another study that was done out of the University of Canterbury where uh, Rachel Johnston demonstrated that uh, the Kia could solve complex problems to receive a food reward and even um, outscored Gibbons, like a member of our primate family, in problem solving. The experiments that Rachel Johnson did involved different setups that it had. It was there was a tube with a uh, with a cheese reward inside of it, and um, the birds were required to access the cheese reward in some way. Um, in some trials, the birds uh, needed to work out that uh, they had to keep the string anchored on one side while they hauled the cheese with the, with the string with, their, with another foot. And in another trial, they had to figure out how to use a lever on the cylinder in order to get the food. And the remarkable thing about both of these trials was that they were done on wild and captive kias. It's really hard to keep a kia captive, apparently. But when um, the researchers would put these setups in the wild, because the kias are so naturally 
curious, they were coming up to these setups and participating in in the experiments willingly. Well, I suppose like so they're actual volunteer. Yeah, keyers. yeah. It was really I find that really cute. There's actually a really good video um, of the first set of experiments online, and it's so good. They they're comparing the Kias and crows, and it's just they're so clever. I think they're so remarkable. Anyway, so the Kias are they're protective and award-winning bird in New Zealand, and although some locals may have had enough of their mischievous and curious ways, uh, there's no denying that the Kia is an incredibly intelligent bird. I'm Maggie Adairn-Pocock, and you're listening to Lost in Science on 3CR. So, are you allergic to anything? Chris? Manisha? Stu? I'm only allergic to, like, you know, pollen and stuff. I'm actually suffering from hay fever a bit just at the moment. Oh, yeah, you are. Your eyes are watering. Your face is a bit red. You know, yeah, it's itchy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to keep my microphone switched off so I don't, like, sniffle into the microphone. I'm, I'm allergic to pollen, too. You are allergic yeah. to pollen, too? I met a guy once who said he was allergic to shoe leather because every time he woke up on the couch with his shoes on, he had a splitting headache. But I don't think that was <laughs> a real allergy. Oh. <laughs> I'm not Anything. No, well, that's a good way to be. Yeah. And do you, how do you think you got that allergy? It's, it's just something that's developed over time. Yeah, since I've gotten worse, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But you yeah. did. You you grew up in a different part of the country to where you now live. I did, but I had hay fever there as well. Right. Yeah. So. Well, let me tell you, there is a growing number of people in Australia who are being bitten by ticks. You know, ticks is in the tiny little arachnids, ectoparasites that bite you and also put your dog's life in danger. Anyway, as a direct result of that tick bite, they are subsequently becoming allergic to red meat. Really? Yeah. Are these like vegan ticks, you know, released into the wild by militant hippies? (laughs) (laughs) That is a conspiracy theory. I thought you might have stayed away from conspiracy theories, being more of an evidence-based man that you are. It's it's um... a hypothesis. It's just untested (laughs) at this point. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a conspiracy theory to me. All I'm doing is asking the question. (laughs) You're just putting it out there for the universe, aren't you? Mm. (laughs) Yeah, okay, I know it sounds bizarre, but these meat allergies, or um, as it's called, mammalian meat allergies... It's a real medical condition, and the incidence is actually increasing in tick endemic areas of Australia. So we're talking up and down the East Coast, quite high prevalence in Sydney's northern beaches, and one of Melbourneians favourite places to go, Noosa. Everyone loves Noosa around these parts, and also the south coast of New South Wales. And one allergy specialist said that cases have been um, steadily increasing from 1987, and now she sees pretty much almost one person a week with a tick-induced allergy to mammalian meat. Hasn't just been happening in Australia, it's also been happening around the world. Cases have been reported in North America, Europe, Asia, Central America and Africa. So it's not just a possible conspiracy. (laughs) It's a widespread conspiracy. It's a widespread conspiracy. Anyway, so the tiny tick culprit that causes the majority of the allergy cases is the well-known paralysis tick or Ixodes hylocylus, to be exact. Now, in the gut of these ticks is a sugar molecule called alpha-galactose, or shortened to alpha-gal. 
as you do. It's not sounds, a superhero. Sounds like a superhero. It does yeah. sound like a superhero. It's not. It's actually an allergen. So anyway. that, is that that's related to like lactose in milk? Wouldn't it be the yeah. lactose? Yeah. yeah. Mm. I guess they're both um, they're both sugars. Mm. Yeah. So this alpha galactose is is a sugar, and the tick picks up this alpha gal when it feeds on a mammalian host. So it's present within blood. So for instance, maybe a bandicoot, a cow, a dog, or any other mammal, the alpha gal is then transmitted through the saliva glands of the tick. So when the tick bites you, it's sort of like it's vomiting a little bit into you through its saliva glands and straight into your bloodstream. And that, that does sound kind of unpleasant, but then being bitten by a paralysis tick sounds unpleasant anyway. So Yeah. <laughs> They've just got no manners, really. No. no. <laughs> Anyway, um, normally this happens when you're trying to pull them off. So you know when you sort of like get the tweezers and you pull, pull the tick off? That's when it's spewing alpha gel um, through its saliva into your bloodstream. So, yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Anyway, from there, your body creates these alpha gel antibodies and the immune system is then wired to fight off any future alpha gel molecules that enter the immune system. So, as you can guess, because um, the alpha-gal sugar is present in mammalian blood, it is also present in mammalian meat. So, when the bitten person who has this allergic reaction then eats red meat the next time, they set off this allergic reaction. But because when you're eating red meat, you're normally digesting it rather than injecting it, the immune response can be quite delayed. So it can be a couple of hours and it can involve hives, shortness of breath, vomiting, diarrhea, and um, in some really extreme cases, it can actually cause anaphylaxis, which is pretty um, shocking. Now, there's no current cure for it. The only thing um, you can do is try and prevent getting bitten by ticks in the first instance. So it's definitely something to keep an eye out coming into these hot summer months in Australia, especially on the East Coast where ticks will be out in force, those places I was talking about before. And if you do happen to be bitten by a tick, remember killing the tick in situ is how you want to get rid of it. So none of this pulling them out with tweezers as you'll squeeze the head and the tick will... Vomit up alpha gal. Vomit up alpha gal, <laughs> and it might elicit a allergic reaction. Obviously, it's not going to happen for everyone. Everyone's, you know, got a different genetic profile when it comes to allergies. But um, yeah, you know, it does happen. Oh, the other mantra that medical professionals use is "dab it, don't grab it." All right. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. Um, it refers to the fact that you should dab on a bit of. Um, some sort of anti-ectoparasite cream, like Lyclear. When you, I mean, you, you've just got that on hand, surely. Maybe put it in your first aid kit before you go out on that bushwalk and then wait for it to fall off. And if you want any more information, check out the Tick-Induced Allergies Research and Awareness website. It's a very thorough and good website. It is um, www.tiara.com. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science.
So I guess uh, now summer is coming around. People are probably starting to think less about staying warm and more about keeping cool. But I just want to talk today about the coldest anything can ever get. So probably a bit colder than you would want to stay over the summertime. I'm talking about absolute zero. So we're not counting negative temperatures then? Well, we are counting negative temperatures. Well, I mean, there's a, like a thing called negative temperature as well, which actually is, is a lot warmer than absolute zero. But anyway, we'll get, forget I mentioned Chris. It. I'm just so, being a nerd, yeah. Yeah, well, you are a physics nerd and we are talking about physics. So absolute zero is recognized as negative 273.15 degrees Celsius on the Celsius scale. There's, you know, it's different numbers depending which scale you're using. But this is a theoretical point at which all atomic motion completely ceases. In other words, there's literally no energy left in a system. So there's no friction, no heat, no movement whatsoever. And temperature is really a measure of how much atoms in an object or in a liquid or in a gas are moving around. And the more they move, the hotter they get, and they move less and they get cooler. So it's kind of measuring the same thing. Movement of atoms and temperature are pretty much interchangeable. But as I said, it's a theoretical limit. There's no practical way to actually remove all the energy from an object. So there's absolutely still with no atoms moving. So they have actually achieved absolute zero on a single atom. So they've actually got a single atom to stop moving. And they've also done the same thing on what they call a quantum gas. But the explanation of what a quantum gas was, was way too complicated for me to have got my head around this week. Maybe I'll come back to that another time. But basically, they haven't done it with a solid object because there's so many atoms in a solid object. It's really hard to get it to all of the atoms to stop moving all at once because there's a whole lot of energy required to do it. But of course, being scientists, that doesn't stop people from trying. So way back at the start of this year, some scientists from the National Institute of Standards and Technology in, uh, that's the NIST, um, and they have a facility in Boulder, Colorado, they found a way to cool a microscopic aluminium drum to a lower temperature than anyone had achieved with a solid object before. A microscopic aluminium drum. Yeah, so like a little tiny aluminium can. Wow. Um, They're just trying to... They were cooling a very, very small small amount of beer. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um, But they did it in a very, very cool way. They did it with lasers. (laughs) So... They shot the can with lasers, basically. So that might sound counterintuitive, but apparently by aiming the lasers just right, they could slow down the movement in the atoms by using the energy of the photons in the laser beam. They did have to apparently tweak it a bit because the packets of photons, quanta, apparently they break up in a stream. They're not a continuous stream of photons. So they have to, uh, they described it as they squeezed the laser. I don't think they just like physically held it and squeezed it in the hand, but they, they somehow manipulated the beam itself to shoot photons in a more regular stream than they would normally. Yeah, squeeze state is a particular kind of quantum state of photons. Um, it's hard to explain without drawing a graph of phase space, so... Well, that's pretty difficult on the radio. Yeah. But yeah, basically they manipulated the laser to, to get it to produce photons in an almost continuous stream, which is very unusual for, for light beams. Um, they couldn't get it perfect because they had limited time. and But what they did do was they were able to reduce the gaps in the photon frequency so that 
they hit more of the uh, well, they hit more often on the atom, so they slowed it down even more than they had normally been able to do before, which meant it got to a super super cool state. And you might think, well, what what is the point in getting something to a super cool state? One of the reasons that they presented in the paper that they published in Nature at the start of this year was that being able to super cool things allows them to make super, super sensitive instruments for measuring things like they suggested gravity waves, but you know we've already measured them in other ways or other people have. But there are huge forces at work in the universe, which unless your you know, uh, equipment is very sensitive, you're not going to pick up any changes in anything. So the super cool objects are really good at receiving energy because then it warms them up and you can actually detect things that you wouldn't otherwise be able to detect. They also are doing it so that they can hopefully make measurements and and observe the action of quantum energy, which is usually hidden by thermal energy, which is a lot more energetic. So it's kind of interference of being able to see what actual quantum energy is going on in objects. So that's another reason that they uh, they set out to do it. But really, I just wanted to share this story with everyone because it's proof that lasers really do make things cooler. All right, so you guys familiar with the the crested pigeon have you seen them around yeah i love crested pigeons can you describe one to me claire well it looks a little bit like a pigeon yep actually it looks quite a lot like a pigeon but it has spots and it has um sort of a spike on its head yeah it's kind of a punk pigeon like a crest crest, yeah like a crest crest, but it's quite (laughs) spiky yeah it is yeah it's a spiky crest it is now it's um crested pigeon it is Oh, I don't know. Ocifaps lophotes. <laughs> it's the only member of the Ocifaps genus, so you have one, really? it's not going to come up a lot. Yeah, you can forget the lophotes bit, doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. Um, so it is It is an indigenous bird. It is, it is native to Australia. You may have seen it around a lot more lately. It has been spreading. It's uh, is, it out, is it out-competing your regular, you know, invasive pigeon? I couldn't say whether that's necessarily the case. So it's it's native to sort of the arid inland of Australia, but with uh, land clearing and that sort of thing and urbanisation, then it's finding a lot of sort of friendly habitats in human kind of dominated areas, which is kind of seems to be the main reason that it's spreading. So it's been found in like in many of the major capitals and there's been more and more in, in recent years. So it's, it's one of the, you know, the few birds that's doing well out of human habitat change. Yeah, I suppose it maybe has slightly different requirements to the normal pigeons like yeah rock dove as it's known species name i don't cannot remember but um yeah it's more in kind of the sort of probably the parklands and those kind of stuff more the, the bare ground anyway that's beside the point the other thing that the crested pigeon is known for is it makes a whistling sound when it flies have you seen heard these guys fly uh no no well, I, I mean either. i mean like i feel Please play it. And I will. I will. I'm going to play this for you. And you let me know if you, yeah, if you recognise this. Yeah. Okay, so you recognise that. Un- Definitely. Undoubtedly. Yeah, yeah. Manisha? Yeah. No. No. I don't recognise it at all. Oh, so it's, it's an Australian. It's an Australian, um, yeah. Australian bird. But, okay, thing is that... Is, is that it whistling or it's... It's wings whistling. Well, it's, it's, is it the air going through the feathers? It is actually the wings. It sounds like it is whistling and it's actually the, the air whistling. Yeah, yeah now, really? Yeah, and people are trying to figure out why it does this. Obviously, there's some physics involved. But one thing that's been noticed is that it makes a slightly different noise when it is startled. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play that for you now. All right, so did you hear the difference there? Was that like really... It, it, it 
it's noticeable difference. But is that do they take off in a different way when they do that, or is it? Well, like, imagine it just going straight up into the air like a cat. Well, okay, so it sounds startled. <laughs> yeah, it does sound startled. Well, okay, um, obviously the difference is going to be more pronounced if you're a pigeon and you're used to this. Um, <laughs> but it is, as we said, the, the the whistling is actually made by its wings and it's made by certain feathers on its wings. And so the whistling happens when it beats its wings in a certain way. Recently, some some research has been published on this in the journal Current Biology. Some research at the Australian National University investigated how and why it produced this whistling sound. What they found is that when the wing go up, there is a note of 1.3 kilohertz. And when the wing goes down, you get a 2.9 kilohertz high note. So it's these alternating low and high notes. And it produces these notes with a special feather on on the wing. So the, the eighth feather mm. on the wing, if you count it from the body of the bird, the eighth feather on the wing is a funny little narrow feather that when the wind goes through it, when the air goes through it, it kind of vibrates and produces this high note. So is this feather just like been, has it evolved especially to make this sound? It would appear to have evolved because the birds most closely related to it don't have this kind of feather. And it is a special feather that seems to be this purpose. And so, you know, when a crested pigeon is startled and it makes that sound... Do other crested pigeons in the area, are they also startled? The, the short answer is yes. Yes, these researchers investigated this. They did manage to get the trust, uh, they described it, of some wild pigeons. And then they trimmed some of their feathers so they could experiment with the noise. First of all, they want to find out what was making the noise. And they found it was this, this eighth feather. Um, the ninth feather also has a bit to do with it as well, but they tried trimming the ninth feather and the eighth feather. And they found that the eighth feather, if that was missing, then it didn't produce a noise. All the other, the pigeons weren't startled by the noise. So what they did, they had to record the pigeons flying. Um, so they presumably had to startle them to make them fly. And they recorded them flying with and without the feathers trimmed. So they did a lot of experimentation. They startled a lot of pigeons. They startled a lot of pigeons. And... And yeah, and what they found essentially was what you said, that it was the pigeons, when you played them the noise, the fully fledged wing, then the other pigeons would react as if there was a predator. A startled yeah. pigeon. A predator in the vicinity. In their midst. Yeah. Um, if it wasn't, if they, it was just like the, the wrong kind of sound, then the pigeons would just kind of look up and go, eh, mm, unimpressed. And yeah, they weren't, they weren't startled at all. Hmm. So yeah, the... Uh, <laughs> That's, that's pretty much now. When you hear these pigeons flying, you will know that it is due to their special wings and you will know that it is not just an accident. It is a, a wonder of nature with their special feathers. I have no conclusion to this story. Oh, Chris, <laughs> I thought you had a great time. Okay, okay. Um, okay. Um. And like what you'll notice, what you'll realise is that just like lasers, pigeons are also cool. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and that is it for another episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science, of course, is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. Uh, it's across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We'd love you to get in touch with us. Please drop us a line at lostinsci at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook. We are Lost in Science on 3CR. We're also on Twitter. We are at Lost in Science 1. We're also on your friendly local podcast app. If you find us there, please take the time if you can to give us a good rating and review us. It will help other people to find us or you can just 
find us on the radio, on the airways, where once again, this time next week, Claire, Manisha, Stu and Chris will get Lost in Science! Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.